it occurred to me that we're starting episode four of the Flat Butts podcast, and I haven't really introduced myself or talked about why I'm doing this. So before we get into the next interview I have with Christy Slade, I want to do a little bit of a background on myself, why I'm doing this, and where all this is going. So my name is Bill Gagne. I am currently, I would classify myself as being in drywall. I'm not a taper. I'm not a boardman. I was a contractor up until maybe six months ago, and I kind of stumbled into this profession, and I always had a bit of a fascination with it. I shouldn't say always. As the years went on, I became more and more interested in drywall, and I enjoyed it more. In the beginning, I hated it, and it just became something that I got interested in the tools and the techniques, and we had a guy who was a taper by trade working for us, and he taught me a bunch, and it became easier and easier as time went on. But that wasn't the reason I started a drywall podcast. We are severely lacking in the ability to bring more good people into the trades. And by good people, I mean people who are talented at it, people who are professional, people who are involved. And I've always wondered how to go about doing that. And there was nowhere that I looked where people were actually telling the stories of what it's like to be in the trades every day, how you got in, what you do every day, the in and outs, what kind of person you are. And I think if you don't see people like you doing what you're interested in, you're not going to think it's attainable. You're not going to have a connection to it. If somebody tells a story that is like you, they have the same background, they look the same, you're going to get a better sense that, hey, maybe I can do this. So I wanted to create something. I've always kind of tinkered with a hobby of podcasting. And I thought, you know, I listen to podcasts at work all the time. Maybe this is something that while people are working, they can listen to and be involved and build a community. And I started talking to people and getting connected with people on Instagram. And then this kind of took off. And this is how I got connected to Christy Slade. It was introduced to her through Instagram. We started messaging. And I found that she had an incredible story to tell about being in the drywall trades and One of the things that she is really involved in is mentoring not only young people into the trades, but women into the trades and into drywall particularly. So I thought it would be great to sit down and have a chat with her about how she got into drywall and what it means to be a woman in the trades. She's a unionized taper. That's a little bit different. And so beyond that, let's talk about how this podcast is going to be laid out. I have a day job, I have kids, I have a wife, I would like to stay married. This is just one of those things that I'm doing on my own. The only help I really have doing it are these wonderful people on Instagram who are willing to give their time to be interviewed and a guy I pay to edit these who's out on the East Coast of Canada. I'm going to try to do one to two of these every month. I want to do a series of 10 and then let that kind of ruminate and then look for other topics and then do another series and see what happens and let it evolve. But I want to tell the stories of people who are in the drywall industry, people around it to help the people in the drywall industry. That's why you saw me interview my accountant and a friend of mine who's in employment services and just build up the experience around being in drywall and talking to people of different colors, genders, races, all of that. And Give a real picture of what it's like every day to be doing drywall. So 
If you want to be involved in this or you have a good story, you have something you want to share with me, you can DM me on Instagram at flatbuttsdrywall or you can shoot me an email at flatbuttsdrywall at gmail.com. Those are two places you can find me. Now that I've bored you with all that, let's talk to Christine. So to start, how did you get into being a taper? So it started when I was about 16, 17. My sister was dating a taper and we all kind of hung out together. His boss could see that I was very hyper and a hard worker. At this point, I've already dropped out of high school because I was cooking in nursing homes with my mom. He asked me if I wanted to work with his drywall company. And once you got started learning it, how did you take to it? Was it something you just thought, this is a job or did you enjoy it? What, what were the things that kind of kept you going? Because well, how long have you been taping? 17 years? Almost 18 years. What kept me, honestly, I didn't even think about it. I just thought money, the trades, and I went for it. And it was just natural because the people I was working with were already my friends through my sisters. So I felt comfortable right off the bat. That's pretty awesome that you started so early. You're a unionized taper though, correct? Yep. Yep. Five years in the union. So you were, what were you doing before? You were just working for somebody else and that was non-unionized? Yeah, I was non-union for many years. And then I was in and out of like half construction, half cooking, because I'm a chef too. So I was running kitchens everywhere. I was restoring furniture, wood back to its natural look, taping, drywalling. I worked carpentry work, replacing fence posts, building decks. I was doing everything. And so you've weaved your way back into being a full-time taper. Did somebody say you should join the union or was this something that you landed on on your own? So when I was 17, I did call the tapers union and it didn't really seem like a good fit for me at the time. So I kind of pushed that out of my mind and I never thought it to be an option again. And then maybe eight or nine years ago, I said to my dad, who is a union iron worker, I said, I want to join the union. I want to go full-time trades. I want the pension. I want the benefits. I want the union package like you had, Dad. So he took me to all the different union halls. I got my forklift certificate through the Steelworkers Hall. I went and did my elevated platform and my working at heights through Leuna, the labor's union. And then nothing really came of it. A couple years went by and my dad rented a cottage in this little town out in the middle of nowhere. And he took me to his friend's cottage and I was sitting there and I looked up at the wall and I seen a plaque. His friend was a retired union taper. So I was like, no way. And I'm like, I want to join the union. I'm a taper. I've been taping for years. He said, Chrissy, you got to join the union. He said, you have so much experience. I worked for two of the biggest non-union taping companies, Waco and Spadafora, based out of Hamilton, Stony Creek. He gave me the local union reps number out of Hamilton. Jeff Blythe called him up and he's like, you worked where? And he was pretty impressed with the experience that I had. So he signed me up. So can you explain a little bit what the difference is between being non-unionized and unionized and maybe comparing the pros and cons of the two? Well, non-union, for one, you're lucky if you get a pension or benefits in half these companies. And in the union, you get the same pay 
across the board. It's not the men are getting paid more than me. I'm getting paid less. No, we get paid the same rate as you move up the tier. So fair pay, the pension, the benefits, the projects that we do. I mean, non-union, it just seemed all over the place, you know, maybe a little bit of commercial, mostly residential. You never know what was going to happen day to day, but there was work. And then joining the union, I feel like it's so much more of a professional environment. The jobs we do, like large scale commercial jobs, hospitals, hospice, the custom homes we do, they're amazing. The professionalism, the safety is top notch way more safer than non-union. Even though I didn't feel unsafe working non-union, I just feel like we get a lot more safety equipment and training in the union, which I like. But yeah, it just feels like more of a professional trade being in the union. But that's not like that for everybody. I know a lot of non-union papers that are professionals and take their job very serious. Did you find there was a pay equity gap in the non-unionized between men and women? Was that happening? I mean, yes. I, don't, I don't know much yep. about that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people try to take advantage of me. Not the two non-union companies I worked for. They were pretty fair. But yeah, I got looked at like, oh, you're a woman. And yeah, and they would say, I'm struggling with your wage. Even though I could do the same amount of work as a man, I do feel like there was a difference. It might have changed now. I think it's changed a little bit now that they're noticing a lot more women tapers and that we're really good at what we do. So it might've changed a bit, but I did notice that gap. Yeah. I mean, if you go on Instagram, there's a, you're on Instagram. I mean, Lydia Crowder's on Instagram and she does a ton of content about teaching people how to tape there. It seems like there are so many women tapers out there and they're also part of that Instagram community. Do you feel that, more women seeing women as tapers makes them feel like that's something that they could do as well? Yes, I do. Because even like when I'm out in the community wearing my work clothes, there's women I talk to and they're like, oh man, I couldn't do your job. And I'm like, you could do my job. I took my sister to a side job and within three jobs, she's like, I never thought that I would be capable of doing this, but I love it and would actually want to do it one day. Wow. That's amazing. And I think there's a factor too. Like sometimes if people don't see somebody like themselves doing something, they don't think maybe internally that they could do it. It's not real to them, you know? So I think what you're putting out there, cause you, you put on Instagram that you're, you were teaching your sister, right? I mean, what Lydia is doing, I think there's, what, there's two, two women out West. Are, are they called the taper chicks? Is that it? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, there's uh, Leah Pollock. Leah Pollock. Oh, all that's those girls it, are fantastic. It. I love all those women. Yeah. There's the drywall chicks. There's the Gilbert taping two sisters in, I think they're in Alberta too. They're really good. I just met them recently. Leah Pollock. Oh, she does everything. Lydia does everything. She is fantastic sweetheart always there for you if you have a question and she goes by the book which i really like the sheer amount of content that she puts out from a teaching standpoint is unreal just every day there's something on multiple platforms and she's doing that build show and i'm like wow you got a lot of energy <laughs> there's a woman in new zealand too alice that's alice the plastering girl she's awesome so i want to go back a little bit to the unionized taper thing. So as a unionized taper who does 
commercial, residential, all those things. Would you be able to walk us through, so say your basic day, like what time does your day start? How does it work? What happens when you get to work? What what time is it done? Like just a, a step-by-step. So maybe people can get a taste of what it's like to be a unionized taper. Okay. So in the union, you work for a company, your jobs could be local. They could potentially be an hour away. The company will let you know ahead of time where you're going. Make sure you have everything you need already set up. So you show up at the job site. With this company, we have to clock in with a fob. We start at anywhere from 5, 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. Usually do 8 or 9 hour day. Yeah, when we get there, usually there's a group of us. You're a union. They're usually on a large scale commercial job. There can be a few drywallers, maybe a few tapers. So you guys all kind of rally up. The drywallers make up their plan for the day, their game plan, and the tapers, they make up their game plan for the day. Okay, so the foreman walks you through. This is what needs to be done here, here, and here. And then we mix up our mud and we start taping. And we work about, in this company, we do four nine-hour shifts. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we work nine hours. And Fridays are half days. So we work four hours on Fridays, which is awesome. Not every company's like that, but I lucked out. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. So what about breaks throughout the day? So I I initially started in the trades in Quebec. And it's sort of like if you're on a commercial site in Quebec, at nine o'clock, everything stops. It's all unionized. So everything stops at nine o'clock. And then 9.15, everything starts again. And then noon everything stops. Like you can't hear anything because nobody's doing anything. And then 1230, people start moving around. So is it like that on a unionized site? Yeah. 100%. Sometimes there will be the odd trade still work and it will be like, come on guys, it's break time. So yeah, but nine o'clock, we take our break at nine or 9.30, 15 minutes, half hour lunch, we clock out for, and then we get another 15 minute break. But we usually just take, sometimes we'll just take two 15 minute breaks and skip the lunch. Sometimes, not all the time. It sounds like one of the benefits of being unionized is just the structure. I shouldn't say just, but like it's a structured environment. It's a professional environment. You're getting benefits. You're getting all these things. Are there any negatives to it? I want to mention a few more positives about the union is that uh, you're part of a big family that's always there for you. If you're out of a job with one company, you could post on social media one of your union brothers in the next city over Hey, yeah, come work at my company. You're part of a huge community, like a huge union family that looks out for you and you guys talk together. There's always work, which I, that I love. The negatives, you're stationed somewhere for the day for a company. That's the only thing I could say. If you work for yourself, maybe you could bebop around to like four to five different jobs. When you're in the union, you go where they tell you to. That's maybe only something that could affect some people. It depends on what you want to do. Other than that, it's been great for me. The idea of doing side jobs as somebody with a skill. I think it's one of the things that doesn't always get talked about in the trades because you can then sell your skill on the weekends or on your off hours and it doesn't really impinge on your job. Is that something you could talk about? Like, As a unionized taper, are you allowed to do side jobs? Is this something that's... As far as I'm told, I'm allowed to. I think as long as I'm doing like small residential jobs, I think if I started doing commercial side work, I don't think the union would like that. So I stay away from that. 
I just typically do basements, a little bit of restoration here, there. And yeah, they've been okay with it. I want to go back and touch on something you talked about. So say you lose your job and one of your unionized brethren can then say, hey, come work for me. Are you finding nowadays that there is a bigger demand for tapers or are there openings that are not filled? There is such a big demand for tapers. There is openings not filled. We are short across the board. I can work 24-7 all day long if I want to. It's a very high demand trade and there's lots of money to be made and lots of cool jobs to work on. Yeah, because I mean, across the trades, we're seeing huge demand for labor and, and drywall is definitely one that's you know like all the others. But it's, it's one of the ones that I see more and more women, at least on the internet. And then I see some on sites, or maybe that's just my Instagram feed tricking me into believing that this is not all the trades. But I wonder how can we go about trying to recruit more people into doing drywall and taping or just the trades in general? Like, do you have any ideas of Are there young people around you or is everybody older? Old and young. I preach the trades wherever I go. People that are working at variety stores, grocery stores, anywhere I go, I tell the woman about the trades. Half the time they say, I don't think I could do that. I do actually want to start an after work thing where I take on random people just to show them what it's like for a night or maybe even mentor them for one job or a few jobs. Yeah, I talk about it across the board. And I talk to people worldwide. I'm part of an international women's committee through my union. So we try to promote women in the trade. And then I join a mentorship program through Kick-Ass Careers. They do a lot of speaking in the schools and do a lot of different programs for the community to try to show a lot of the kids in the school before they even graduate. Hey, this could be an opportunity for you. We're trying. How's that working? Well, the Women's International Committee I joined last year, that's been pretty cool. I think as of this month, I'm going to have our Women's Committee here in Ontario, which starts in two weeks, Monday night. So I'll get to meet some of those women from my union. And I got a couple women from my union to join. So that will be cool. And then the mentorship program, like Kick-Ass Careers, It's a group of all different trade professionals from every different trade, women, men, and we just like speak out, do different programs. There's so much to it. I haven't even learned anything yet. Jamie, the owner who started this, she's an iron worker woman. She kicks ass. Um, She is doing so much in the community for this young, the young generation, young and old. I feel like I've seen this kick-ass career somewhere on the internet and I can't, I can't place it right now. So is that designed to get more women into the trades? Is it just designed to get more people in the trades? Is it both men and women? And is there a plan on how they're going to do that? Because one of the things that, I mean, you you and I have lived this, governments have talked about it for years, you know, we're going to get more people in the trades. And I got into the trades in 2006. It hasn't gotten any better. And in 2006, we were talking about we need more people in the trades. We're going to bring them in. But I'm finding around me, the people in the trades are just older and older. They're my age. And I'm not seeing as many young people come in. And then 
with the cost of houses and everything, because most of what I do is, almost all of what I do is residential, you can't find contractors or subcontractors because they can pick and choose. There, There just aren't enough people coming into it. So I'm wondering, is there a different strategy that these organizations are putting into place as opposed to what the government is doing? Or is that still evolving? I think that there's a lot of stuff evolving. What this program does is they go into a lot of the schools, they run programs, they talk to the kids, they they go to the school and actually talk to the group of kids, boys and girls, and, and tell them all the different trades, how they can get into it, what it's like. She lets them play with the tools, put on the gear, and is pretty much a support system for them. And you saying that you haven't seen a lot of young people into the trades I think it depends on where you are working because out here in the Tri-City area, all I see is young people, lots of young men, all younger than me, and I'm 33. All I see is 20-year-olds, 20-year-olds, electricians, sheet metal workers, lots of young people out here in the trades. Wow. Yeah. Maybe I'm living in a bubble. (laughs) It just depends on where you are, I think, maybe. Maybe. I mean, I've looked at the statistics that are available because there isn't a whole lot out there. And I know at least in Guelph and the area that I live in, we talk about it all the time, trying to hire somebody that has skill, trying to hire somebody who's maybe a little more skilled. Everybody is looking. And so I looked at some of the data and this is really old data. So it's really hard to tell, but it talked about like 160,000 apprenticeships across Canada will be available in the next five years. And that article was probably from 2018. It's crazy. We're all living in our own little kind of lanes and there's no collective data for us to pull from. So when you're talking to a young person, I say, let's pretend I'm really young and I have a full set of head of hair. And I say, I want to get in the trades. How do I get started? Who do I talk to? Where do I go? What would you tell somebody? Well, first I would talk to them and I would tell them about, I would probably name off 20 different trades and say, what kind of are your interests? What are your hobbies? What do you like doing? To kind of see what might suit them or what their interests might be. And then maybe guide them in that direction, whether it's union, non-union. I think it's a great career for anybody. Like it's just, it's once you learn that skill, you can take it anywhere. You can make money anywhere. You don't need to stay in one place. It's not like you work at an office. You stay in one city. You can go anywhere. You know what's crazy was, like, I work with a guy. We're not business partner. It's kind of like a co-op. He gets a job. He hires me. I get a job. I hire him. He has a friend who does houses in Turks and Caicos. And he was asking Mike, the guy I work with, do you want to come down to Turks for a month and do a house for me? Just the idea that you could say, you know what? I'm going to take a month go on vacation and work. And he was, the guy in Turks was saying, you can't work past three o'clock because one, it's too hot. And two, the guys who work on the island will get mad at you because you're working too hard. (laughs) I was like, this sounds pretty good. But how exciting. Exactly. When my wife and I got together, she was still in school and she was talking about moving somewhere else to do more schooling. And she asked me, we talked about moving and she's like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I can do what I do anywhere. I can move to Ottawa, BC, California. I can do this anywhere. I'm not limited. So 
just interesting to see how flexible it is. And now with just the demand everywhere, your ability to be mobile and say, yeah, I'm going to move across the country and be working a week later is, is just, I think, another, another bonus to what we're doing, you know? A week later or the next day, because it is in demand. And I don't know the statistics, but you're right that we are short across the board and the trades are in demand. But I am seeing a lot of younger people in the trades. At least one of us is, because that's I've been hearing the opposite. And like I said, there's no data, there's no provincial or federal data talking about who's getting in, who's leaving. Most of the data that I've seen is about the average age. I think the average age of a welder was like 51. Really? Which is just insane, you know? So, and the other thing that gets talked about or too much, I think, is the idea of apprenticeships when there are so many trades where you don't necessarily need to be an apprentice, right? I mean, to be a taper on a residential site, there's no apprenticeship if you're non-union. It's like, can you tape? Yeah, great. Get to it. Or they'll teach you. Yeah. Yeah. They need somebody bad enough, they'll teach you. In the union, is there a lot of teaching? Is there a school? Is there something where if you are brand new and you join the union, is there a way for you to gain skills or is it all on the job? So the union offers, I think it's four to five year apprenticeship. So you're partly on site, partly in school in the training center in Toronto. And they set you up at a hotel, all paid for. The hotel's paid for, usually, I'm pretty sure. They have a training center, the tools, everything. They show you there. And then, yeah, and then you, you're on site a bit too, on and off for five years. And then you, at the end of the five years, you write your test and you're a journeyman. And is that the process you went through? No. No, I had like 14 years experience or how many years experience I had when I joined the union that they let me come in and I bypassed the apprenticeship. That doesn't happen very often, especially in my area, in Hamilton and Toronto area. That doesn't always happen. But they said, yeah, we'll test you out. You sound like you know what you're talking about. So let's see if you can walk the walk. They started me at 90%, put me on a job. Actually, my first job in the union was McMaster University. Lots of different vents, lights, all kinds of stuff. And they're like, there's a mud tape. And I did it. I proved myself. Now I'm going to be writing my journeyman ticket soon. I got enough hours that I'm challenging the test through the trade school. My rep sent me over the letter a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, I'm going to be writing the test. One of the things, because I came to see you on site a while ago, and we kind of walked around a little bit. And one of the things I noticed and you mentioned was there's no automatic tapers like you know the the columbia boxes any of that you guys don't use any of those do you we do we do but typically hourly tapers cope by hand i run machines not all the time i'm running machines in the job that i'm in now some of them it depends if you buy them some of the companies provide them mostly hourly tapers tape by hand can you enlighten everybody on why an hourly taper would want to tape by hand I think it's because like when you're piece working, you want to get it done super fast, right? The faster you work, the more money you're making hourly. I don't know. It's just, it's just the vibe. It's just the way it is. Yeah. But some of the companies do have machines you can use if you want and you can buy your own. You know, what's funny is I worked for my old drywall contractor for like three months, helping him out just kind of with dropping things off, picking things up while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up. And there was a guy, his name's Stipe. All the guys were Croatian and he 
did everything by hand. And he was just as fast as the guys who ran the boxes. And oh, the, the sure. crazy thing is, he's in his 60s, right? It's him and his wife are taping this house, all these houses, right? You know, this, these fully detached houses, you know, three bedroom, we'll say 1,800 square feet. He's running all, all of it by hand, okay? The only machine he is using is a Festool sanding machine. Whereas all the younger guys, they're all running boxes, bazookas, all of that, but they're all sanding by hand. I thought it was the funniest thing. Like, they're like, no, nah, I'm not going to use that machine. That's crazy. And he's looking around like, why wouldn't I use it? Like, sanding is the hardest thing I do right now. That's skill. He's moving fast because he's skilled. Many years of experience. If you look at Gilbert's taping, two sisters, I think they're in their 20s. You see the size. They're doing large custom homes by hand, these women are. I think they just got a set of boxes from Columbia, but they are taping these houses by hand. And I mean, sometimes we do too. I mean, it's all with the skill. The more skilled, the more years you put into it, the faster you get. And and the other thing is like the tools. So I've gotten into doing taping now and running a box, all these huge blades you can use. They just make it, so much easier and it kind of I don't want to say this out of disrespect it almost takes some of the skill out of it right because you're it's kind of like cheating right when I started doing renovations and you're doing it by hand you put in a corner tape like I got to coat one side I got to wait for it to dry then I got to come back coat the other side whereas if you're using a flusher like it's done one one go and I was like holy smokes this is amazing but see I do a lot of jobs where it's new to old. So you have to be able to have those skills coding by hand. I think it's good to know both how to code by hand and machine because half of our jobs, we're doing a little bit of both. Yeah. Once, once you get into old marrying new, you know, like you're into a lot of time. I mean, trial and error, so much of it is your own experience, right? And having screwed it up, Brad Hanna talks a lot about being a craftsman, you know, respecting the craft and putting in the time and learning and doing all that crazy stuff. And it's, it shows in your end result. Sooner or later, you want to make your life easier and experience kind of learning from that is, is what does it. 100%. And he takes a lot of pride in his work and it shows. I like doing sometimes like, a lot of the old houses that I restore, it's all by hand. Because when I'm floating out these old texture ceilings, I can't use a machine on that. No. It's all yeah. hand coding. And I like that. I enjoy it. It's a lot of work, but it's fun for me. On Instagram, was it last year you did that job with all the windows? Yep. Yeah, that was last year. Yeah. Well, last that year, maybe like six months work. ago. Kind of work. Fun though. And I saved them thousands of dollars. Yeah, you're not doing that with a machine. No, that's all by hand. I like it. I like the restoration work. That's fun for you? So what is your favorite kind of job? If you were to say, the union says, okay, you're going here tomorrow, and this is the kind of job you're doing, what type of job makes you go, yes, I can't wait for tomorrow? Historical buildings. Cool custom homes. We did the owner of Blackberry's house, and there were so many different cool features you can see on my Instagram. It's like cool wooden boat built in the ceiling. I like something with some character to it. 
not just plain Jane drywall. I want some character there. I want some rough repairs, something I can fix by hand, do some different patches. I like stuff like that. So you enjoy some of the challenge. Is that what you're saying? To, to wrap it all up, is there anything that I have not asked you about that I should have? And is there anything you'd like to tell somebody who is looking into getting into taping, but isn't quite sure yet? If you're looking to get into taping, just ask somebody. Ask one of the tapers, anybody you know that's in drywall or taping. We are friendly people. We are willing to help guide you. Just ask us and we'll show you. We are looking. We are begging for people to ask us. We love teaching people. Most of us do. And so what if I don't know anybody? What if I, I, the only people I know are on the internet? You ask them and they will, they will help you find somebody in your area. Most of the time, that's how friendly we are. Or call the union. I, I can attest to the fact that most of the relationships I've formed with tapers, like yourself, Brad, Stefano, Lydia, it was all done through Instagram. There was no, because we don't live close to each other. You know, Lydia's in the States. Stefano's in Acton. You know, Brad's in Hamilton. Like, it's not like we're next door and be like, hey, let's go for a cup of coffee. You know, Canada is not exactly a small place. And I was amazed at how close-knit the Instagram community for tapers and drywallers was because I just, I had no idea that this many people were interconnected through Instagram. Me neither until a few years ago. And honestly, I am so happy that I found this community because they have all supported me, pushed me to put myself out there. They inspire me every day. They teach me new things. They're there for you. If like, oh, hey, how do you do this? I've never done this before. They're there for you. Just awesome community. It's amazing. I think that was great, Christy. I appreciate your time for doing this. I'm excited. I think it's great that you, you're telling our story and you're in the trades too. And it, it's, it's cool to see the diversity in the trades and how easily you can get into them and what a great career it is. I would never have thought two years ago that like, hey, what, what are your thoughts on starting a drywall podcast? I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. And just through all the people I've talked to and gotten to know it's really a microcosm of all the trades. And what I've learned a little bit is a lot of the people who get into, say, the cosmetic trades, especially taping, they have a creative background. They're extremely, extremely studious in the sense like they will know the nitty gritty of what every tool does, how to fix the tool, the mechanics of it, what the good ones are, what the good ones are for them. And then they just put it all on the internet and I'm like, with this, I'm overwhelmed. Like I can't keep up with the amount of stuff that Lydia puts out. And there's like 10 little lines at the top. I'm going, I can't watch all of these, Lydia. She's got a family too. You know that. And she tapes huge houses on top of that. Well, and then she's going to conferences. I'm amazed by it. And I'm like, like at the same time, I'm going, man, I could be doing so much more. <laughs> But you are, yeah, Look good at you for now. her. It's, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, I think it's really cool that you're doing this. And uh, thanks for having me on. Big thank you to Christy Slade, not only for giving us the time to sit down and share her story, but just all the support she has given me throughout this project. We met maybe nine months ago, 
And she has been there every step of the way, encouraging me to do this and saying how great it would be. And I just want to thank her personally in public on this. The Instagram community for taping has been one that I have been blown away by how many people are just willing to be involved and want to share their stories. So I want to encourage again, anybody who has a story that they want us to share, please DM me or shoot me a message on my email, flatbuttsdrywall at gmail.com. And that way we can start to tell a more well-rounded story of this industry and get more and more people interested and willing to try something that a lot of people I think would really like. Christy, again, has a similar kind of creative background with cooking and hands-on and all that. I think there's a lot of people out there who would really enjoy this that are not involved. I've got some more guests coming up that are really interesting that I think you'll want to know about, but I'm going to tease those later. As always, I want to say thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.